Morning, everyone. I do feel slightly intimidated following uh, J.B. Masindi speaking last week. Those of you that were here, I like the way he just dropped into this conversation when he came back from having been ill, the president and the vice president of his country turned up in his church that morning. And um, it is an interesting question as to how that might make a difference to what you say. You know, when I'm preparing to speak, I find myself each time um, with different, one, different people in mind. If I don't know you already, I'm afraid I did not have you personally in my mind because I don't know you yet. Um, but I find different people, um, faces and pictures of, of people of, um, I'm thinking, what is the word of God going to do for different individuals amongst us this morning? I pray God... Um, that for everyone, whether someone's been in my mind's eye or not, they're in yours. Lord, you know everyone. You know the number of hairs on everyone's head. And uh, you know what we need, God. Thank you that you love us, that you're here to speak to every one of us. We pray that you do that through your word. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, before we get to opening the scriptures, um, I do want to wave a flyer at you. These have been on the seats the last couple of weeks, and you may have read them, or you may have looked at them and thought, oh, that's a flyer. I want to make sure that these have landed in people's thinking, because um, unusually, as a group of churches in Salt and Light, we didn't have a summer camp in 2018, but there are going to be some over the next couple of years. We're not going to have a national one altogether until summer 2020, but we do have a camp next year. It's going to be called Supernatural Advance. That sounds very positive and good. We need the power of God that's beyond us in order to move forward in what he has for us. Many of you will have been to Lenchwood Christian Centre before. It's where we used to go for our summer camps before we went to Malvern for those of you that can remember that far back. And I want you to think about this now, because if you did look on one of these leaflets, you would see that it is 10% cheaper to book in November than it will be after that. And I wouldn't want you to miss out on a bargain. Um, I have to say there's a touch of genius in the planning for this uh, next summer's event. Many of you have said to me over the years, and I felt the same, that when we go on these camps, it's wonderful that the kids and the youth have a great time. It's wonderful that we have time in God's presence for much less hurried worship and prayer and big changes. Actually, very often at these camps, people hear a call from God, which is a kind of word that comes from God that is more than happens. So we take a little bit of time aside from everyday life. One of the things that, that people really love is in the evening, when all the meetings are done and we can sit around and have uh, hot chocolate or a glass of wine or whatever it may be that people are drinking, and just spend time in each other's company and enjoy a quality of fellowship together. What's genius about the, this camp is they're bringing the evening meetings forward so they finish sooner. So that little bit of our time together is going to be more than it's ever been together. And in every way, I think it's going to be a great camp. But don't miss out on booking in before the 30th of November, or you'll have to pay more money. And that would be sad. So there we go. If you want to know anything more about that, um, Bev, my wife, who's not here because she's with the toddlers this morning, is on the event team that's planning it, and you, she can tell you much more about it. All right. We have... Um, a series, I've got that one there already, and I'm sure another one like it's about to appear. 
There we go. We're in a series all about how God does speak a word to us to call us. We don't have to wait till next summer. He's speaking even now. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, Lois kicked off our series by speaking about how we're called into a relationship with God, which is wonderful. And Simon, wherever he's gone, uh, spoke um, a couple of weeks ago about being called to people. We had a week with JB, which was a special week. Now, this morning, I'm going to speak about being called to the city. There's a picture of our wonderful city of Oxford. And then the fourth talk in this series, Andy's going to speak next week on being called to think beyond the city. But this morning, we're sticking with the city. And I have a couple of questions for you. What vision do you have for Oxford? Now, if you're a visitor from somewhere else in the country, you're just going to have to try and go with us a little bit this morning as we engage with this question for where we live and work. What vision do you have for Oxford? If I could ask the question in a slightly sharper way, what's the point of Oxford? What is the point of Oxford? I don't know whether you've ever asked that question. There are some answers to it. These few square miles where we are and which are known around the world have a purpose. We're going to get to that in a little while. Uh, You know, most churches these days have a vision statement. Uh, It's a really helpful idea. It's an idea that churches learn from practical business people, you know, those people that actually know how to get things done. They're helpful because a vision statement helps a whole group of people to, to pull in the same direction and know what we're all about. So I just thought I'd share a few vision statements with you. And I don't know if you know where these are from. Does anyone know whose vision statement that is? To make people happy. Disney. Yes. <laughs> That's their whole purpose, to make people happy. What about this? You might, there's a TV advert at the moment that uses a few of these words, and it might give you a clue to create better everyday lives for as many people as possible. That's a vision of Ikea, if you want to say it in the Scandinavian way. Ikea, yes. They're wonderful every day. There we are. And what about this? <laughs> Whose vision was it to crush Adidas? Uh, Nike. Nike. And um, there we go. And in a similar vein, whose vision was it to crush Reebok? No, that was Nike again. (laughs) After they'd succeeded with Adidas, um, they moved on to Reebok. Um, The vision statements that churches have take different forms. Um, They're rarely as aggressive as this. Although when Al and I were in, we were in the capital of an Islamic country last year, and we met with a team there, not the team that we support directly, and I asked the leaders of this team, what's your vision for this city? The capital city of this Islamic nation. They said, it's to see it on fire for God. And I said, well, that's good. It's like on fire with love, on fire with the power of the Holy Spirit. They said, no, just on fire. I was perplexed. It showed on my face. They said, oh, because because Islam is evil and it needs judging. Um, so, So sometimes Christians have quite aggressive statements of vision. 
I didn't find myself agreeing with all that they had to say there. Um, churches uh, often have vision statements. Here's one I really like, actually, um, from a church in London. Grow up, grow together, grow big. <laughs> I like that. There are all kinds of different things that churches say, but you know, as part of this family of churches that we're in, which is called Salt and Light, and the bit of it that's more local to us, which is called Salt and Light Advance, uh, we gather leaders. We've got this happening next weekend, actually. We gather leaders of those churches together every six months and prompt everyone to ask, well, how's it been going? What's God saying to you now? And what are you going to be doing next? The last time we did that, I wandered around and talking to leaders in their different groups as they're sat all around this hall and talking about what God said and what they're going to do next and what vision they have. And I noted something for the first time, which was that um, whilst there were all kinds of really good things coming out that people heard God, God say, I'll oh, start an alpha course or keep going with the toddler group that you're doing or um, time to spend a bit more time fasting and praying than you have been. Lots of really good things. Out of the, I think there were about 12, maybe 15 churches represented on that occasion. Out of all of them, there was only one that made a statement of vision, that something that God had inspired for them that was about the place where they lived rather than simply about what the church would do. And that was, on to talking about church now, that was Swindon Community Church. And as I was wandering around, I saw on their, their flip chart, they'd written down, because of Swindon Community Church, there will be less mental health problems in Swindon. I thought, well, that's good. Good for Swindon. Good for Swindon Community Church. And maybe there were one or two others that said something like that amongst all of these churches. I just didn't spot them. It's much more common when we think about what are we about as Christians to think about what it is that we're going to do. And I believe that God wants to lift our sights from what it is that we are going to do to see what it is that he is about doing in the whole of our city. It's a bigger thing than we normally stretch to. So the question, what vision do you have for the city of Oxford? What is the, the point of Oxford? Or to make it a little bit more manageable, perhaps, what vision do we have for the place where we live? And, and work, or perhaps study. As a church, we're already doing all kinds of things that shape the life of the city. Some of those things we do together, Tyndale Community School, which we began, the Edge Housing Project, um, with a Lees Church here, Thrive Lees, uh, is making a difference to that part of the city, uh, welcome boxes we've just begun, and as well as the things that we do together, People are going out and making a difference in their community as individuals as well, in all kinds of ways. I think of Anna Pearson, who saw Dean Court Community Centre literally rise from its ashes and be rebuilt. Or I, can't, I think I can't see Katrina here this morning, but as a district commissioner for girl guiding, she has a massive impact on the lives of girls right across this western part of the city. Sanjay, who's been leading us this morning through the um, wheelhouse, co-working space, making place for entrepreneurs to come together and see their ideas become reality and make a positive difference in the world. Georgie, wherever she is, making A&E better 
for all of us, which you might one day be tremendously grateful for. I kind of of hope you won't have to be grateful, but there are lots of people who are grateful for what Geordie Clark's doing in A&E. I think of uh, Maureen Sim from the Leeds running toddler time. And again and again and again, I look around, and as I was thinking of different people, as I was preparing for this morning, I was thinking, what a wonderful, wonderful thing the church is. So many individuals going out and doing things in their daily lives that make a positive difference. Sometimes we do those things individually, and sometimes we do them together. What I want to offer you this morning is is a vision for the city of Oxford in which those things don't only take place and do good, but fit together. How those things might fit together in a vision for the city of Oxford. Before that, I want to clarify three biblical principles that shape our thinking. And they are these. The first one is God has an ultimate intention. That is a plan for how everything is going to work out. Psalm 24 starts by saying, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it, for he founded it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, which means since God made everything, God is interested in in everything. There's no little corners of things in which God doesn't have a concern. That means that the natural world around us is not merely a backdrop against which humanity's story can be played out. God cares about it. And it also means that human society all around us is not merely a backdrop against which church history will be played out. God cares about everything and about everyone. When God has vision, it's not simply vision for the church. It's a vision for the world. He made it and everything in it. This is what we sometimes call kingdom theology. It's about how God rules and reigns over everything. And may God help us to stretch our vision to encompass the things that are in his heart. His ultimate intention is articulated here by the prophet Habakkuk, where there's a prophecy that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's an amazing statement, quite an astonishing foretelling of what will come to pass, that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What is that glory that will be known everywhere. Well, when Moses asked God to see his glory, God came down on Mount Sinai, and it's recorded for us in Exodus 36. Sorry, Exodus 34. And I want to read verses 6 and 7. It says that the Lord passed in front of Moses, proclaiming his name. The Lord, the Lord, the gracious And compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, 
and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he doesn't leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. This is a holy God concerned with the right things happening in his world. But more than anything else, these verses tell us that he is a God of love, compassionate, gracious, abounding in love, abounding in faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, forgiving, slow to anger, and forgiving. And this is what Moses hears and sees when he says, God, would you show me your glory? God says, yeah, I'll show you my glory. This is, this is it. This is my radiance. This is my majesty. This is what's wonderful about me. This is what I'm like. And so I could mash these two verses together to help us along. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the abounding love, grace, compassion, and slowness to anger of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is the future of the world. If you ever are wandering around somewhere and you think of it as a God-forsaken place, well, it can't remain God-forsaken. The future for every square inch of this planet is that it will become a place where people know the abounding love and grace and compassion, the slowness to anger of the Lord. So our role in this city, what God desires for this city, is that everyone here would know that God loves them. Everyone would know that God loves them. Indeed, that God so loves them that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him might not perish but have eternal life. Our role in this city, our vision for this city is that it would be a city where, where people know what God's like. And our role in that is to show people what God is like, especially his abounding, his ceaseless love, which forgives. Another thing that took place in this very room earlier in the year was, uh, when through the building actually, was a day conference back in February for Christians working in health and social care. We called the day Engage, and we had people who work in health and social care speaking Christians from churches across the city and beyond working in those sectors here. And um, I didn't know quite how it was going to go. I was a little bit worried that people wouldn't get on with each other. You may have heard me say this before, but just at the beginning of the day, as people were having coffee, I looked around in the foyer there, and I saw that everyone was getting on with each other. And I was really relieved, because I didn't know how it would go. And I turned to a GP from St. Ebbs who was there, who'd been helping organize things, and I said, well, this is good, isn't it? They're actually getting on. And he said, Stephen, his name is Stephen, my name is Stephen. He said, Stephen, he said, "Um, uh, what did you expect? He said, you gather people who work in the caring professions. They're they're bound to get on with each other. But whilst these were lovely people, my experience of the day was that it was like walking amongst, by and large, a bunch of weary and wounded people who were giving out day by day by day to people who were in need around them and were exhausting 
that. And then working in a context where there's money is not as available as it was, and there's pressures and there's expectations. And what I saw happening that day was it was like there was um, a fountain that sort of opened up that, that brought refreshing to people. I could see in some of the seminars, I could see people, it was almost like the person at the front who was just speaking something that was true about God and doing things God's with. And I could see uh, encouragement kind of going into people. And people left that day just with their heads a little bit higher, a little bit reminded that they're God's kids and that he is abounding in love. And that whereas their work environment would pull them down and leave them feeling empty, they've got springs of living water in them. There's something about this abundance of God which is profoundly transforming for what life is like. And that's true in hospitals. It's true for those of you working in social services. We've got another conference with the same purpose coming up next March. If you work in those sectors, you might like to note the date. It's Saturday the 2nd of March next year. Same kind of thing is going to happen. And this time, having seen what was going on in the dynamic in February, we're calling the next conference Contagious Hope. Because that's what God offers. The city needs to know about the abounding nature of God's love. It needs to know that there's a source of love that doesn't run out. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God. That's where it's all headed. And in whatever situation we are, if it's not yet like that, it means the end's not yet come. It means that future still awaits. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. That's the first thing, God's ultimate intention. Here's a second thing. It's about the way that the kingdom of God is always coming. I want to read to you two parables. Actually, they're both in Matthew 13 as well as, as, well as being in Luke's gospel. I'm going to read them both from, from Matthew's gospel starting with the one on the left, which is the parable of the mustard seed. Teeny-weeny seed grows into a great big plant. Jesus told them a parable. It's there in Luke's gospel, and in Matthew's gospel, it's chapter 13 and verse 31. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. This is a picture of the kingdom of God as a thing that is, that is always growing more than you'd expect it to. And it grows in such a way that it makes space for people to come in. And that's a dynamic of the kingdom of God. Then there's another parable, which actually is, is sort of in, enfolds in Matthew chapter 13, the parables of the mustard seed and the yeast. And I'm going to read the parable of the weeds from verse 24, and then its explanation, which follows later in the chapter. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds amongst the wheat and went away. 
And when the wheat sprouted and formed ears, then the weeds also appeared. And the owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Why the, where didn't these weeds come from? And he replied, an enemy did this. And the servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you're pulling up the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow, let them both grow together until the harvest. And at that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And then Jesus explains it. From verse 37, he said, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. That's Jesus himself. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire... So it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Jesus says, he who has ears, let him hear. There is, of course, a great deal that can be said from those parables. I want to simply point out to you this morning the contrast between these two. Because the parable of the mustard seed says, it's going to keep growing. It's going to keep getting better. It sounds of victory and of increase. And then there's the parable of the weeds that says, you know, it's going to be messy. And it's going to always feel not quite right. And it's going to feel not quite right until finally Jesus comes and there's a trumpet blast and in the twinkling of an eye, everything will be changed. And we call that day judgment day and we call that day the renewal of all things. Now, some Christians focus more on one parable than the other. Some Christians are what we might call triumphalist. And this goes along with language like, we're going to take this city for Jesus. Well, this city isn't going to be entirely Jesus's until that trumpet blast. Until that time, when there is a renewal of all things, there's going to be weeds. There's going to be, Jesus describes as evil. There will be things that remain of the devil in this world all the time that we're alive in it until Jesus returns. So, take this city for Jesus. Well, there's the parable of the mustard seed, which says that things are going to keep on growing. But there's the parable of the weeds as well. Because of the parable of the weeds then, on the other hand, some Christians counsel us not to expect too much in this life. Now, there's always going to be suffering. There's always going to be the poor. It's always going to be difficult. And there's a kind of Christian statement that you sometimes hear, or statement from Christians that says, don't, don't expect too much. Like, if you, there's enough just to kind of cope 
and endure and stand to the end, that'll be fine. That's what you can expect to do. And somehow, may God give us the grace to hold together both of these parables. That I, I don't know of another parable that Jesus told that kind of helpfully zips it all together and makes it simple. Jesus didn't do that. He told a whole number of parables that give us different facets of this complex reality that is the world and God's kingdom coming in the world. But I can say this, if you have great vision and you're feeling really pucker about it and like it's going to work and off you go and it's gonna, you're going to save lots of people and going to take charge of things... Well, praise God that you've got hold of the parable of the mustard seed because that's the dynamic that it's at work. But may God give you strength for the battle because that battle is going to go on till your dying day. Maybe you were being ministered to by the song and the words that were spoken earlier because you felt so overwhelmed. Well, The scriptures also tell us in Romans chapter 8 that each one of us in Christ is a more than conqueror. I love that. Not just a conqueror. Actually, the the Greek says hyper-conqueror. That's the word. Hyper-conqueror. You are a hyper-conqueror. That's amazing, isn't it? We need to know that too. May God give us the grace to hold these things together. The kingdom is always coming. It will always be coming until the time when either you die or Jesus comes back, whichever is first. It will be coming through strife, (laughs) but it will be coming. It's always growing. It's always growing. And then thirdly, that's a picture of a light in a mirror. It's the best I could do. Jesus said to us, astonishingly, he says it's in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, he says, you are the light of the world. Wow. Just wow. Because first of all, Jesus is the light of the world. That makes a bit more sense to me than that I am. Jesus is the light of the world. But here's the thing, his, his radiance is contagious. When we enter into a relationship with him, he lives in us, and we start to become like him. Wow. And so each one of us becomes a little lamp that shines with his light. To keep things in perspective, you may have come across this little story. The oldest uh, instance of this that I could find was about 80-odd years ago. So it's a story that's been doing the rounds. It's a really helpful little picture. Uh, the story is told of a mouse who crossed a bridge over a deep ravine with an elephant. As the elephant and the mouse crossed this bridge, the bridge shook. And when they reached the other side, the mouse turned to the elephant and said, boy, we really shook that bridge, didn't we? A mouse can't shake a bridge, but a mouse that's teamed up with an elephant can. And that's a good picture for us. We're the light of the world, not because whatever light's shining in us, it's like a little candle compared to the sunrise of God's presence with us, that he is with us in all the places to which we go. So these are just a few 
biblical principles to lay out at the beginning before moving on to the specifics of our city. God has a plan, which is for everyone everywhere to know him. There is going to be this mixture, but in the midst of it, the kingdom of God is always growing, always advancing, and we're right at the heart of that because God makes each one of us his light. So back to Oxford. Back to Oxford. You know, um, the city council has a vision for Oxford. I don't know whether you were aware of that. That's why it says Oxford 2050 here, because through a mixture of looking at evidence as to what makes cities work well, and through crowdsourcing some statements about it, the city council in the last year has come up with a vision for Oxford and what it will be like in 2050. Uh, That vision pays attention to the sort of things that local government should pay attention to. Employment and housing, the quality of transport, equality of access to services, encouraging active lifestyles. Yes, those those are good things, and we want that. But you know what? As Christians, we have got something to add. God has more in his plan for this city than simply that people would be active and there'd be good bike paths and the buildings would look lovely. I mean, there's more in the... I don't want to do down the city council. There's lots that's good in the city council's vision, but we have got more. We have got more. The more that we have to bring is not particularly a new thing. We have the blessing of living in a city that has a long history. And when the university was founded... Uh, It had a motto, which it still has today. I've made it a bit bigger in case you couldn't see it. It says in the middle there, reading down and then across, Dominus Illuminatio Mea, which means the Lord is my light. You know, when the university got going, what happened was there were different sects of Christianity, the Dominicans and the Benedictines and the Augustinians and so on, who founded different communities, different houses here in the city, and there were significant tensions between them. But together, somehow, by the grace of God, they overcame those tensions and together formed one university as a place where they could together pursue the truth harmoniously And generation after generation, they saw fresh-faced young men, and they would all have been men, they saw generation after generation of fresh-faced young men arrive in these few square miles and nurtured them to full vigor, like plants coming into flower. And then those same young men went out from these few square miles, most of them. Some became prime ministers, but most went and lived in some small corner of Britain, and there they gave away the learning and the life that they'd gained in Oxford. That's been going on for the best part of a thousand years. Once Britain began trading around the world, many of those young men and women too went out as missionaries to places all, not just in Britain, but around the world. And again, they shared in those places the learning and the life 
that they've gained here in Oxford. You see, in the history of this city, there is a generosity that flows, that flows from God's heart and displays God's glory. A giving away, an investment in people, and a giving away. So how might we put this today? Here's how I'd like to suggest we have some vision for, this is not just about the university, by the way, but the city as a whole. It is that we are here for good. You can read that statement a number of ways, and that's all, they're all intended. We're here for good. Christ with us, we will see to it that Oxford is a city of harmony, of flourishing, and of generosity. These are things that are deeply part of the history of our city, of people coming together who would naturally be at odds. And it's a, it's a Christian thing. It's a Christian thing. Because Christ says to us, love your enemies. We can identify that there are people in the city who are our enemies in some regard. You might have someone very clearly in mind as soon as I say that. But you know what? God says, love them. And there's a kind of harmony that comes from that sort of love. And you know, there's no harmony like Christian harmony. It's true. Because our Lord said, turn the other cheek. And our Lord said, when asked how many times we should forgive, like seven, he says, no, 70 times seven, just keep on forgiving. And actually, just to make it really clear, says, when you pray, pray this, that our sin, would my sins be forgiven as I forgive other people? Let's just make it clear how this works. That there's a flow of grace and of mercy and of forgiveness that comes from God that you can step into as a Christian. And uh, when we live this way with the forgiveness and the overflowing love of God, we show that the family of God, that's the church, that what we're about and what God has been doing with us for the last 2,000 years, God has been using his people to break down ethnic and social divisions. There's a kind of harmony that exists amongst Christians and that Christians bring into the places where they live and work. This is a vision for our city. that it, There's something here that's more than social cohesion. It's more than tolerance and getting by. Um, just before the service here, Matt Watt, who's the principal of Tyndale Community School, called by to get some bits of paper signed, ended up, if you're a student and you stay for lunch, he helped stir your lunch. He's been served by him this morning as well. Um, we have a saying for Tyndale Community School, one of the strands of our ethos is that where there is religious difference, it should not lead to conflict, but to conversation. And that conversation should be one in which we get to know each other and friendship can form. And uh, in a minute, I'm jumping ahead of myself. I'm talking about Tyndale. Look at this. This is in the local newspaper. That's Matt in the middle looking smiley. Community Spirit supports holistic study at the city's first free school. There is, there are more than 50 different nations in the school. And they're getting on okay. One of the things that happens is that there's an international week that happens in the life of the school, and people are invited to bring food from their home nation 
and share it with other people in the school and, and eat a meal together. Now, you might think that's a fairly simple and straightforward thing, but when I was last there for it, there's an Irish guy said to me, he said, this is amazing. He said, I've eaten Indian food many times. He said, but I've never eaten it from someone whose name I know. I've been given food by an Indian friend today. And it was like a game-changing thing in his whole perception of relationship between different uh, ethnic groups and, and the community that he's living in. We get to do that kind of thing. We get to do it because even when people really knock us off and offend us and do things that justify us thinking of them as our enemies, Jesus says, oh, well, that makes it nice and clear then, doesn't it? If they're your enemy, what are you going to do? Oh, you better love them. Now, Tyndale Community School is not the only place where that's happening, but this is something that happens as Christians live out that overflowing love of God into the city. It enables a kind of harmony in society that cannot be gained without the love of God. Flourishing. Go back to flourishing. Um, You know, there's no flourishing like Christian flourishing either. Because we were made by God, and we're made to work, to all our parts to function in relationship with him. And when, we're, when we step into a relationship with Christ, with a God who made us, and he's living in us, and his spirit is living in us, we become the people that we were always made to be. There's a kind of flourishing, a nurturing of human lives, of people finding their calling, discovering their potential, realizing their gifts that happens in Christ. There's no flourishing like Christian flourishing. This picture here is of a home being opened for edge housing by the high sheriff, um, representing again the, the life of the city that we're in. Um, The vision that we have with the Edge Housing Project is not only to provide a house, but to provide a home. That's different. It's very different. The ethos statement for the project says, Edge is not only committed to providing quality accommodation for people who have been homeless or vulnerably housed, but to fostering healthy relationships. We can foster healthy relationships within which people can flourish. This isn't just about edge housing. This is what each one of us can do because there's this resource of the abundant love of God in us that enables us to make relationships work. And then generosity. I'll be back at the picture about Tyndale Community School. Um, Generosity, a city of harmony, a city where people are flourishing, and a city of generosity where we give away our best to other people. Now, um, our eldest daughter, uh, Amber, is about to go into... The, she, next year, she goes into the sixth form, and she's been at the King's School in Whitney, which is very marvellous, but it doesn't have a sixth form, and we're looking at, at sixth forms. And so I, as the conscientious father and with an interest in education and having been used to looking at school ethos statements and sharpening them up, have been looking at many school websites and saying, so what is your ethos and why should I entrust my daughter to your care? And uh, I'm a bit intense. <laughs> So my daughters know this, and they, they tolerate it. Um, huh. And I discovered something. 
Whereas an, another part of the ethos for Tyndale Community School is that the school, this is part of being in the Chapel Street family of schools, the school is expected to make a planned, positive difference beyond the school, locally, nationally, and internationally. That's a good thing for a primary school to be doing, to make a planned, positive difference beyond the school, locally, nationally, and internationally. It's part of the vision of what it's about. Now, I've been looking at what six forms in the city and around are about. None of them say anything like that at all. A at all. They talk about being a place where you can, you know, you can raise your ambitions and work hard and realize your potential. And depending on how they phrase it, either sort of get by sort of in a sort of tolerable respect with other people or actually get on a bit better with other people than, than that. But none of them say anything at all about, like, the point of what we're doing is to get you to a place where you just give away what you've got. Man, I wish the universities of this city would get hold of this reality. That the, the point of... What's the point of Oxford? The point of Oxford is not to be top of the rankings. That's not the point. The point of Oxford is to be a powerful source of goodness for the world. To put into people that in these few square miles people would get hold of something, receive something from God that comes from his abundance, which whether we stay here, as I have now for many years, and so have some of you, or whether you're here just for a little bit and before you go, wherever you go, you've got an overflowing, you've, you've got learning, and you've got life that you've gained here and that you can give away wherever you go. And if you do go somewhere else, It'll be a little bit bittersweet because we'd love to keep you here, but it'll be, it'll be sweet for us to see that you're going and pouring out in some other place, be it in 10 Downing Street or some little rural corner where there's you and three sheep and there's shepherds to care for. I don't know where it'll be. What might it look like for you to shine in this city? I want to go back to this. Being here for good... Harmony, a city of harmony, a city that's flourishing, where people are flourishing, I should say, and a city that's generous. What would it look like for you to shine here? What would it look like for you to shine the love of God in this city, in your sphere of influence, with your friends, with the people that live near you, the people that you work with? What would it look like for you to promote harmony? where there isn't harmony? What would it look like for you to promote flourishing? Whew. Some workplaces don't do flourishing. They do squeeze every last bit of energy from you. What would it look like for you to promote some human flourishing where you are? <laughs> and what would it look like for you to promote generosity? Maybe the company you work for already gives away 10% of its profits. Probably not. What would it look like for you to promote generosity in the place where you are? You know, I struggled somewhat preparing to speak this morning because like, it's, it's quite a stretch when you're a pastor of a church to, to, to articulate vision for the church. And this is like a few hundred people, right? 
it's been challenging to think about articulating vision for 150,000 people in what's actually a very globally networked city, which therefore has purpose right around the world. That it's okay that I found it difficult to articulate because the answers to it lie amongst all of us. In the answers that God gives you to these questions, how can you promote harmony and, and flourishing and generosity? Something, but I feel like we're, we're, dis, we're still discovering something together as a church of our place in the city. We weren't even here 40 years ago. Other churches have had a thousand years head start to work out what they're doing here. We're still, we're still working it out. Um, I trust that this morning has been something of a pointer. And if there are any practical answers to these questions, well, then praise God and they'll lead us forward. I just want to pray along those lines and, and close. It's slightly messy close, but um, it's what happens outside of this room that's really going to count in this regard. Father God, thank you that as we came together afresh to worship you as we should this morning, that we, uh, we knew your presence with us, your face shining on us and and that abundance is coming to us. We sang about a newness. It's true. There's a newness that you just keep giving to us. Just all the time, you keep giving to us. You're so good. We never get to the end of it. And I thank you you've done that for us again today. And I want to pray right now. We're going to have a moment of quiet. And I pray, God, you'd take and you'd use that moment of quiet. By your Spirit, speak to everyone here. And give something really specific, something really concrete, something that can be done that would be a light shining and helping this city to step into that future in which every square inch, every nook and cranny is a place where there is a knowledge of your glory.